everyone, co-host Doug here, and first of all, thank you so much for listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. We are super appreciative of all the support. But I just wanted to give you a quick heads up that this episode has some sound issues. Matt got back from his epic six-week trip to a house that was completely flooded, and so he has been, or I should say he and his family have been homeless and couch surfing at different friends' houses and working out at different places, so... Unfortunately, the sound quality is not very good, especially on Matt's side, or mostly on Matt's side. So bear with us. We're sorry about that, and we will be back to normal soon, recording in the same location and being able to do it with much better sound quality. All right, let's get to the show. Hi, this is Hope. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Meet Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 98 of No Meat Athlete Radio. Doug, we're two away from 100. It's a race against time. Let's see if we run out of topics to talk about. We may not make it. It's possible. We just did have a brainstorm session on topics, and there are a little few and far between. We've used them up, yeah. Even the ones we brainstormed, we've, we've run through those. But thankfully, <laughs> people are sending us questions and things like that, because that, that always provides good fodder. And uh, that is how we, how we came up with this topic, because... Someone named Mark emailed us a question, basically wondering about different staples in the diet. He knows kind of what to do about the ingredients for main meals, because in that case, you just buy the ingredients that you need. But he's wondering um, about lots of specifics that somebody who's new to this diet would wonder about, like what milk should I use in tea? Like what kind of milk is best between probably almond, soy, hemp, all the different nut milk type things that there are, um, and all the things like that. So we're going to answer a few of his questions, the specifics, and then also talk somewhat about the staples, the stuff that we keep on hand uh, for snacks or for whatever other uses, and we'll just see where that goes. Sounds great. I like talking okay. about food. I do too. All right, so let's let's get to Mark's specific questions first. Um, what he said was, what milk should I use in tea? What oil should I cook with? What bread can I eat? What do you use instead of butter? And also, can I use protein powder slash creatine if I'm training and do I need to? So we will answer those specifics, and then uh, we'll use that kind of as a jumping-off point to get more into our pantries and talk about not not get into our panties, but get into our pantries. <laughs> talk about what uh, what specific foods we keep around. So, uh, first one: What milk should I use in tea? Uh, Mark, the only milk that we use in my house usually is almond milk, and that's not because we're against soy milk. Uh, it's just I don't know. It just seems like it, it, I, I like it better than soy milk. First of all, I think it tastes a little bit better. And soy is like, it's a controversial food. I'm not anti-soy by any means. I think it's perfectly healthy. But when it comes to foods that are sort of controversial, uh, I tend not to try to base my diet on those or my kids' diet on those. So, you know, I tend to think soy is healthy. But because my kids drink milk every single day, I don't want to give them a food that might possibly, some chance, not be that healthy. So we use almond milk for the kids and for the milk that we keep around. Uh, we get the Whole Foods unsweetened almond milk brand. I think it's 365 brand it's called, I believe. Uh, the reason we use that one is because it doesn't have that carrageenan stuff in it. I'm not sure if I'm using that or if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's that, I don't know, seaweed-derived type product that, that caused some gut problems apparently in people. So I think that scare was probably a little bit overblown last year or two years ago. But anyway, we've stuck with that one because it doesn't contain it. How about you, Doug? Milk. Milk. I also we also stick to almond milk, um, and we just use the uh, like grocery store branded 
uh, Ingles almond milk or Trader Joe's almond milk. Um, and we used to do we used to do soy milk for a long time. When I first switched from regular milk, I did soy milk, in part because it was cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, but almond milk just tastes a whole lot better. And we you know like you we get the unsweetened kind. Um, the sweetened kind is is good, I guess, for some things, but it is really sweet and it has a lot <laughs> of of sugar in it. Yeah, that's that was. I mean, well, if you're just having it a little bit, like if it's just for your tea and it's a rare occasion that you put milk and tea, then I think it's fine. Use sugar uh, or have the have the sweetened kind if you like that. But if it's an everyday thing for us, it was the kids every single day that you know that, that would add up an extra five or ten grams of sugar every single breakfast. Um, I should point out by the way that soy milk does have a lot more calories and more macronutrition in terms of protein and fat. Uh, than almond milk does, and then most other nut milks do. Most most nut milks really don't have many calories at all. If you look at their protein, fat, carbohydrate numbers, it's like between one and three grams of each per eight-ounce serving, whereas soy milk has like, I think, eight grams of protein in an eight-ounce serving, which is apparently comparable to dairy milk, and a decent amount of fat as well. So, Mark, it's only like he is a new vegan, new vegetarian, um, or 90% getting there. In that case, I mean, soy is something to consider because a lot of people who are in that phase are understandably concerned about protein. I mean, it's, I don't think it's a big deal that people make it out to be, as we've said before, but I do understand the concern at first, that it is it is sort of scary to feel like you're not going to get enough protein. So it's, it can be a really nice, comforting thing to know that every time you use soy milk, you're getting eight grams of protein in eight ounces so that if you have three glasses of it throughout the day, then you've got 24 grams of protein there. Um, so that's just one option for kind of keeping those calories and that protein up if that is your goal. Uh, we will get to, to the protein powder question as well. Uh, of course, that's another way. Yeah. And another thing to consider is that um, almonds are kind of controversial right now because of the drought in California, and they, they require so much water. Um, so oh, you and your environmental stuff. <laughs> so, concerned about other people that aren't you. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's terrible thinking about yeah. someone else and something else. Uh-huh. But uh, they, you know, other than like livestock, they are the most um, water intensive. They require the most water, Is that right? Yeah, out wow. of all the crops in in California. So, so that's another thing to consider. If, you know, if you want to do something else, what do you think about coconut milk? Like not not the stuff you cook with, but like the right. And that's that's an important distinction because that my mom actually made that mistake the other day in the store. She was asking for the coconut milk that her recipe called for, and she was ready to go home with a carton of the kind you drink <laughs> instead of uh, the can of what you cook with. Um, I don't know. I haven't looked at it that much. I know Starbucks uses it now, and some of their has it as a non-dairy option, uh, and it didn't taste too terribly good when I tried it there. Oh, really? But no, but I haven't really tried it. I don't. Or maybe I did a long time ago, but I haven't really had it uh, as as just a drinking milk or cereal milk. I don't. The thing is, I don't really have a use for milk. I don't really ever eat cereals like that anymore for some reason, and I don't drink milk by itself. So I just never really try these. It's my kids who always do. Uh, I don't know. I'm guessing coconut milk would have a little bit more saturated fat than some of these other ones. Mm-hmm. But in those small quantities that we're talking about, that may actually be a good thing. I don't know. It's it's sort of not totally um, unanimous whether or not we need saturated fat in our diet. It's sort of not agreed upon. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I seems like it would be fine. But have you have you tried it, or do you have thoughts on it? I just tried it the other day for the first time, actually, and um, it was I was at a friend's place, and they have some fancy espresso maker thing so they were making frothed espressos and, and used coconut milk 
and it mm-hmm. frothed up really nicely and did i mean it was it was pretty good in the okay. in the little latte there you go so for the baristas out there good yeah. froth all right um so that's that's milk uh, I mean, really, there, there are tons, though, besides almond milk. There's hemp milk, and there's cashew milk, and there are different milks. And, and I think you can just find the one that, that you like, and maybe for different uses, use different milks if you want. Um, but, yeah, that's, and, that's milk. Well, and finally, how about how about making your own? Do you ever make your own nut milk? We have done that a little bit, and it certainly makes almond milk way better. Like, it just tastes way better if you put almonds in a blend deck and blend the milk and then strain out or blend them up with water, strain out the pulp, and – it's way, way creamier and better and fresher tasting than when you buy it. Um, we haven't done it. I don't know if it's expense or just the pain of doing it or all the waste that then happens. But I think you could kind of, I think you could take that almond, the, the pulp and use the, and then dry that, use it, then grind it up and use it as almond flour, which is actually one of these staples that I'll mention later that we keep on hand for some things. Um, and I've also heard of people using almond butter to make almond milk, hmm. which seems like a more cost-effective way to do it because then you don't have the waste. So uh, I haven't done it much, but when I tried it, it tasted really good. I think it, it was either that it went bad too quickly or something just made it not all that practical for us. But I think it's a good option. Have you tried it? No. Mm-mm. I haven't. Out, but but, I, but I've heard a lot of people suggest it. And I, yeah. know, I know you can get, like, at some fancy stores, you can get recently made almond, you know. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I didn't. That is a fancy store. <laughs> at the Yes Organic in D.C. Ah, okay. You can do that. All right, the next question from Mark is, what oil should I cook with? Uh, and that, hey, we're opening up a can of worms here, Mark, with oil. Because <laughs> um, we, we actually don't cook with oil anymore in my house. We just made the decision after the vegan cruise that we went on this, this past March not to use oil at home anymore. kind of became convinced, finally, that it wasn't a health food, which I had sort of been convinced about that before, but I wasn't convinced that I could cook without it and still enjoy my cooking and still make good food. Uh, but when I tried it and when I had some of the food on the cruise, I realized that it was totally fine. I really couldn't tell. Maybe side by side you taste a difference, but I couldn't tell that this food wasn't cooked with oil. And that had been my hang-up for a long time. I was thinking that it would be lacking in richness and depth of flavors if I didn't use oil. So we've stopped using oil at home. Um, I, I don't I don't think that decision is for everyone. I think certainly there are a lot of people who, who hate that idea. And I was in that boat for a long time. So I wouldn't say I'm I'm against oil or anything like that, and I don't I don't tell people they need to stop using it. Uh, if I were if I were still using it, I was I was using olive oil, grapeseed oil, and coconut oil. Those were the ones that I would tend to use in my cooking for different different purposes. The olive oil generally at the lower temperatures, uh, coconut oil, particularly the refined coconut oil, at higher temperatures, and the grapeseed oil kind of in the middle, or if a recipe called for it. But not there wasn't too much um, too much method to that for me. I just kind of, you know, whatever seemed to fit the dish. Dish. If it was a Thai dish, I would use coconut oil to add that sort of flavor. If it was an Italian dish, I would be using olive oil uh, and so on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think just because you're going vegan, you really need to change your oil choices. Uh, so, yeah. you know, whatever you're you're using now would probably work. Um, we use olive oil and coconut oil. We have definitely, since, because of you, Matt, we have reduced the amount of oil we're cooking with that I would be lying to say we had cut it out altogether. So depending on depending on the dish, and really it's, for us it's more about flavors. I know that the, the whole heat stuff matters when when you're making your oil choice, but right. um, normally I, I don't take that in, into consideration. It's really just the flavor of between coconut oil and olive oil. Right, right. And that's a good point, though, is that, I mean, just reducing oil is a pretty good option. If you are convinced as I am or just concerned about the 
the health properties of oil. And the idea, by the way, is that uh, it's not a whole food. It's been separated from the food that it belongs in, and it it is all fat, so packs a tremendous amount of calories in a very small space that doesn't really take up much room in your stomach. So it's very easy to take in a lot of calories uh, in the form of oil. Um, but I think just reducing it is a really good thing. I'm just kind of being mindful about it, and instead of pouring two tablespoons in your pan to start the saute process, which is very easy to do. I've done that before, and, you know, it's delicious. So it's, it's easy to kind of get in the – in the uh, just get used to using a lot of it. But just to use a teaspoon or use two teaspoons and just see how it affects how the dish actually turns out. And many times I think you'll, you'll notice that – you'll notice that you can't tell, that you don't notice. Uh, so that, that's a good point. Just, I mean, you can reduce it. You don't need to be extreme as I have chosen to be. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I don't know if it, you've told me this or, or I don't know where I saw this, but it makes total sense and it's not something that I used to do, which is kind of silly, I guess. But if you heat the pan up first, like obviously not to where it's burning, but if you heat the pan up first, then you only need a little bit of oil and it will instantly coat the whole thing. Whereas if it's cold, you end up pouring a whole bunch of oil on there because you think that's how much right, right. required. I think, I think Matt Resigno told me that and I think he wrote that in our book. I think there's a little sidebar thing about oil in there okay. where he suggests that. I think that's where it's from. But, yeah, it's a good tip. If you pour just a little bit in, but the pan's hot, it'll spread right over it and coat the whole thing, and you can use less. Yeah, and then the, so then the other thing we do is we'll often do that. Uh, we'll coat the pan at first, but then if we it needs more if it's sticking or something like that, then, then we start using the water like what you use instead of oil when you're Yeah, and water, that, and that's a question people want to know a lot is what do you use instead and how do you cook without oil? Water just does a nice job. I, I for the longest time, thought that was just, heresy that you would try to use water in your onions and garlic uh, <laughs> but it works fine it keeps them from sticking and they still smell like onions and garlic not they don't smell quite the same but i mean it's it works so uh you get used to it yeah all right so on a similar note what do you use instead of butter so this one is is a good question um actually i skipped his what bread can i eat but let's since we're talking about oil let's talk about what you use instead of butter um there are a few good options to replace butter Coconut oil is the first thing that comes to mind for me, like on popcorn. I don't do this anymore at home, but we used to just uh, melt some coconut oil and you just kind of pour it on like you would pour melted butter onto popcorn and then toss the popcorn in it. And uh, it adds a little bit of a coconutty flavor. Coconut oil comes in two kinds. There's the unrefined, which is for lower temperatures. And there's the refined, which is for higher temperatures. The unrefined tastes and smells like coconut still. The refined does not. So if you wanted healthier option i think unrefined is better but then it adds that coconutty flavor to your popcorn or to whatever you're wanting to put butter on um but that's that's what we used always kind of if we wanted a buttery thing we would use coconut oil there are some other kind of neat things like you can spread avocado on toast and that makes something that is sort of replicates the what what it was like to have butter on toast Mm -hmm. Uh, so that that's an interesting idea I don't know. I mean, I've seen there's Daya makes cream cheeses now that are actually really good, although not as healthy at all. Uh, but but there, that's a nice alternative if you're used to butter on bagels, and you need to have something on your bagel. Then here's here's a vegan option that is pretty good. It's, it's like cream cheese. It's not like butter. Uh, but I don't know. You got any more any more butter tips there, Doug? Yeah, I think. Uh, well, for starters, we just use. I mean, you know, we just use way less butter. I mean, obviously, we don't use any butter, but. <laughs> Um, we have a we have Nature's Balance makes a vegan butter spread, uh-huh. um, yep. and we have that in the fridge and it's there all the time. But we hardly ever use it. I don't, it for some reason, over time, we've just found all these other alternatives, like you said, avocado and toast or 
um, even, you know, a nut butter on toast instead of, um, you know, instead of butter or something like that. Uh, and, and we just don't ever use it. I don't, I don't know. We don't have a need for butter very often anymore, but when we do, we have the nature's balance and actually we put that on popcorn if we ever make popcorn. Yeah, there you go. So, I mean, you, those things, uh, we haven't really gotten into those, those vegan margarines very much other than the rare baked good that we'll call for it. Yeah, uh, I mean, they're yeah, super processed, they and, I mean, they're not healthy for you at all. There's no no yeah, pretending right. that they are, but... You know. But, yeah, but but if you're new, and this is a theme that has kind of run throughout our, our podcast and our advice, is that if you're new at this and you're trying to make it last, then it's okay to, for a little while, not be making the healthiest choices in, you know, in exchange for getting some of the similar experiences with not making the change too drastic. So sure, go ahead and use the vegan margarine for a while until, and it might even happen naturally that you just kind of get more interested in whole foods. You'll become more interested in the idea of using avocado on your toast instead of that. And you kind of just start to, I don't know, your taste buds change and you don't want those processed things quite as much. Yeah. I think, I think that I'm a, this is a perfect example with the butter is, is we bought that vegan margarine, and probably use it, or I know we use it a lot more when we first started out, and then you know over time now we just now it just sits there. Is it, is it the same tub as when you first? Went <laughs> no, I think we've gone through a couple tubs. But... <laughs> it probably doesn't go bad. I'm, I'm imagining. No, I, I mean I don't I really don't think it does. I really think that the one we have in there is probably like three or four months old. <laughs> nice. All right. Um, so then the question. Oh, there is an oil, by the way, that that people say that serious cooks say does taste way more like butter, and I I think it might be hazelnut, but I'm not. I'm not sure, and I'm trying to Google it and find the answer. Uh, I don't, I don't like bringing up things and then saying I'm actually not sure about that. But if you if you look hard enough, you will find it. it it's an oil that tastes a lot like butter. I think hazelnut, not positive about that, uh, could be safflower or something like that. So anyway, for whatever that's worth. Um, Mark's other question is, what bread can I eat? Um, or one of his other questions. You can eat almost all breads. I mean, there are certainly some of them, and, and you do have to look because there's, there's a decent amount, I don't know, maybe 10, 20% of breads, especially like the, if you look in a supermarket bakery section where they make those rolls and they put them out every day, apparently, uh, those often have egg whites and things like that. And I'm not always butter, but egg whites or like powdered milk or just weird ingredients like that. Uh, typically, though, if you just get the breads from the main bread section of the store that are that are the the I guess commercial type bread, not the store bakery, um, which of course is still commercial. They they usually don't have any non-vegan ingredients, but you do have to look and make sure. Uh, I've heard that certain types of bread, like sourdoughs, in their yeast starter thing, might have egg. So you, you don't always know about that. Uh, but if you read the ingredients, you will you will I think hear about that. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I don't. We don't get too restrictive about bread, but it is one of those things where. We just started, we kind of went along this path, and we talked about the weird path before where you just get weirder and weirder with your choices, and we now use exclusively Ezekiel bread, which is the sprouted grain, uh, I don't know if it's flourless, but it's pretty close to flourless bread. Uh, it's just, it's, it's sprouted grain, so I, I think it's healthier. We use that all the time. tastes much more like cardboard, though, so it's not one of those things that I would recommend that you automatically do as soon as you go vegan, because it'll make you say, oh my gosh, vegan bread is terrible. So... Yeah, bread's bread's one of those things we don't worry too much about. We get multigrain whole wheat. I don't know. I don't even know what brand it is. Doesn't even matter what brand it is. I don't think. But yeah, but and honey is another thing. By the way, it's in a lot of bread. Oh, Usually yeah. say so on it, but not always. So you've got to look for that as well. Uh, if you are, if that's part of your veganism, and it you know technically is, but not everybody does that. The one exception I will say is that um, 
and I learned this this summer, was that a lot of like hot dog buns uh-huh. have egg white in them. So you have, oh, really? to be, you have to be careful what hot dog bun you get. Okay. Good. like that tidbit. Um, naan as well. Indian bread naan, like if you, if you try to get that, almost always has butter in it. Hmm. So roti, which is you can get in restaurants. You generally can't find roti that easily in a grocery store. But in any restaurant, roti is generally vegan. It's kind of a whole wheat type of naan. Uh, but naan itself is not. All right. I and Mark, know that. Good. Well, then I've taught you something, Doug. Thank you. Um, Mark's last question is also, can I use protein powder slash creatine if I'm training and do I need to? Uh, yeah, I mean, you can use those things. The protein powder, of course, you don't want to use whey protein powder, which is a very common one. Um, but you know, any, there are plenty of vegan proteins, pea protein, hemp protein, rice protein, or a combination of them. I tend to like hemp protein, even though it doesn't pack that much protein in, uh, but it is much less processed than the others. Uh, you don't need to, no, you don't need to use it. I've I've been two years now without using any of the protein powder and been totally fine. But it's one of those things. In the beginning, if you're if you're scared about protein, then by all means add it to your smoothie, and uh, and just you know be a little more confident about it. And, and also, I mean, maybe maybe if you're not if you're new to this, maybe you're not good at finding protein sources and getting the protein sources. So yeah, go for it. Um, creatine, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yes, you can use it. There are there are, I think I don't know if there are non-vegan forms of creatine. I would imagine that there are. But generally, when I've gotten it or researched it or looked at it, it seems like the, the kinds that I've bought are vegan, so it's not hard to find vegan kinds of creatine. Uh, but it's something that I, I don't know that I would recommend unless, unless you're, you're that serious about your training that you really need those performance benefits or the weight that it will help you to keep on or put on. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's just there, there, are some, there are potential risks with creatine. It's it's not been around all that long, so that there, the long-term risks aren't really known. It's thought that for the most part it's safe, but I have seen things that talk about uh, links to links between that and other growth-promoting things to cancer. So, uh, you know, I think I think they're probably weak links, and I don't I don't know that I would definitely base my entire decision on that. But it is something to research. But I don't think there's anything new about that with being vegan. I mean, you can get vegan creatines. Yeah. Yeah, we talked we talked a little bit more about creatine and and bulking up in general uh, in a recent podcast. So we did. You could check that one out. Doug, now that you're doing uh, push-ups before every shower, are you are you putting down the creatine, trying to trying to really get jacked up? <laughs> Throwing down the the creatine, absolutely. Yeah, yeah just Be- between, between yep. every shower, before every shower. <laughs> yeah. you know, nice. Got to chug a little creatine. No, not not still not taking any sort of uh, protein powder or anything like that. Creatine, I will say, is a, is a very effective supplement for me. It has worked very well when I've used it in the past. When, I, when I've tried to put on weight, it's been a big part of that. Okay, so other staples. Uh, that, so that's the end of Mark's question. Thank you, Mark, for that question. And by the way, you can always send questions. We've also got the phone number, which, Doug, I know you always got it right at the tip of your tongue. Of course I do. It's 951-666-3281 or 951-NO-MEAT-1. There you go. So if you call that number and leave a message, we will play your voice on the air, assuming your question is good and your voice sounds radio-friendly. Uh, <laughs> we will play it on the podcast, and you'll get to have your question answered that way. But please do, because those help us uh, come up with ideas for new new topics like this one. So let's get into other staples, other things while we're on that topic, since we haven't really covered that yet. Um, we don't need to go through our entire pantries here, for sure, but just, I don't know, people might be interested in, in hearing some of these specific foods that we 
try to keep around. Uh, we mentioned almond milk, so that one is, is scratched off. But in my other nuts and seeds department, um, I've got we, – we tend to use – when we make smoothies, we put a blend of four seeds into them or nuts. Um, pumpkin seeds, chia seeds, walnuts, and flax seeds. Walnuts and flax are there for the omega-3s primarily. Um, we also take an EPA, DHA supplement to get some other omega-3s that are harder to get from those foods and that your body can't necessarily convert as well from these, – these, these nuts will provide you with ALA omega-3 fatty acids generally. It's hard to convert them for some people into DHA and EPA, which is why we take that supplement. Uh, but not not everyone has that problem, and we don't even know that we have that problem. But we do it to be to kind of cover the bases. Chia seeds high in protein, also high in omega threes. Pumpkin seeds high in iron. So we like that blend. Uh, adds adds kind of a creaminess to the smoothie when you put some nuts in there. Add some protein as well. So we've always got those on hand. Um, almond butter is a staple for me. The kids are always eating almond butter sandwiches on Ezekiel bread. That's very very common thing for them little did we know that they were harming the environment when they did that with their, <laughs> their almond milk uh, as a as a drink but doug has, has informed us of that um the only other nuts and seeds generally i have i keep tahini around because i use that in lots of salad dressings that is mm. sunflower seed paste you will find it with the other nut butters in the grocery store usually and it's delicious that's what tahini is uh, sunflower seed paste yeah you didn't know that no what do you think it was? Just like a made-up food? I I don't know. I guess I never thought about it. Synthesized delicious food. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sunflower seed paste. You can get it either raw or or roasted or toasted. Hmm. Toasted is generally better. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, and Brazil nuts. I keep. I take. I take them sort of as a supplement. I take. I eat three a day or so, uh, just because they are they're good for testosterone. And uh, we've talked about the the simple test, which I don't know how really reliable this is, but the the morning wood test, as I like to call it, <laughs> uh, for, for your testosterone levels. Um, so Brazil nuts—they don't—they don't directly boost testosterone, but they do contain selenium, and a selenium deficiency can cause you to have low testosterone. So if that's the cause of your low testosterone, then the Brazil nuts will help you. What I can tell is that they—they they help me. They—they they help me pass that test better than if I'm not having them. So I, I do that. Um, so that for what what that's worth. All right, so those are my those are my nuts and seeds, Doug. So to speak. I don't, Doug, know, how to, I don't uh, know how to follow up on that. No. <laughs> no. Um, I uh, I actually, other than the Brazil nuts, I have the exact same thing, and I do have Brazil nuts, but I don't make a point to take three of them every day. Gotcha. Actually, I don't know if you remember when we first talked about Brazil nuts. I didn't know what they were, but no, they were. I right? didn't. I did know what they were. I just didn't know what they were. <laughs> right. Brazil nuts, by the way, as a as a fun fact, are highly radioactive. I've I've read, uh, so a little bit controversial as an everyday food, but apparently apparently they're like a thousand times more radioactive than any other food you can get. But still, the levels are so small that people think it's safe. Hmm. So I don't know if it's a good long term long term thing to do, but I like it. The one the one difference is that we use flaxseed powder instead of whole flaxseed. Mm-hmm. There you go. So that works. I mean, I think it's sort of a freshness issue. Flaxseed, because it is so high in fats and good nutrients, does go rancid pretty quick. So you need to keep you keep yours in the refrigerator, I hope, Doug. Yep. So, Got to do that. Um, but, yeah, some blenders will just handle the, the full seeds just fine. Uh, but you do want to make sure that you are actually – that it is getting ground up at some point because it will pass directly through you if it is not. Yeah. All right. 
So that's nuts and seeds. Um, other stuff. Let's see. I'm trying to think. I don't want to just list my entire pantry here. Um, but the, I think people probably wonder about snacks, and we have some posts about snacks. If you Google "no meat athlete snacks," you will find our posts about snacks. I think we've got two of them. Um, but typically, what I do for snacks is one of only two things. It's either fruit, which we have all the time around and we eat it all day long, uh, or hummus. Hummus with vegetables dipped in it. Maybe some sort of pita bread or something, like a whole wheat pita if we have that. But usually it's just vegetables dipped in hummus. Uh, I've, I've definitely gone down the more extreme path with the snacks. It just, I mean, it, it has happened totally naturally, but we've just kind of stopped buying chips and having them around the house and things like that. So we just snack on fruit. Um, the, the fruits that we generally buy are bananas, oranges, berries, which are very, very good for you, lemons and limes because they're used in cooking so much, uh, and melons. We've gotten really into melons recently, ever since the Woodstock Fruit Festival last year. Hmm. Uh, I, I used to hate melons. I thought it was the worst, the worst variety of fruit that there could be, the worst subclassification of fruit in the world. But I got really into we, – we had watermelons, cantaloupes, and honeydew melon at the Fruit Festival every morning for breakfast. And uh, – sometimes for lunch too and, and it was just I just got really into it and now Whole Foods and a lot of other grocery stores have like 10 different varieties of melons there's Hami melon there is the Canary melon like five other melons that I don't know but they all taste delicious and different and subtle complex flavors so I, I am a, a melon guy these days and melons are perfect right now so if they're in season are they? Yeah, they're really. I get good. mine. I get mine chucked in from uh, from the equators. It doesn't from really Mexico. matter. Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Yep, so I don't care what's in season. Well, okay. <laughs> if you go to the farmers market, at least in North Carolina right now, the melons are delicious. Yeah, I should do that now that I'm back to North Carolina. Hey, interesting side note. Totally, totally off topic, but we've we've kept saying that uh, our next episode we're going to be back in person, and we're still not back in person because my house was totally flooded when we uh, when we got back. So. For anyone who's who's keeping score at home and wondering why, if you can even tell that we're not together, maybe maybe it's an obvious thing. I think um, our chemistry is a little bit off. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's that's why it's not that we lied or anything like that, or that we've you know permanently separated and no longer separated as podcasting partners. I should clarify, uh, we do each have wives, <laughs> but it's not that we've. It's just that I, I'm living in a different house now, and our situation is totally a mess right now. While I'm waiting for my house to be dried out and demolded and everything else that has to happen to it. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, back to stables. We don't need to harp on my misfortunes. Um, any any fruits besides that, Doug? Besides those, any any typical fruits in the hay household? We've uh we've been doing a lot of plums recently and um and apples. I don't know if you mentioned apples or not, but I did not. I'm an apple fan. Yeah, my kids are apple fans. Peaches also delicious right oh, now. Oh yeah, peaches really good. Uh yeah. And then, so as far as snacks go, I, I do probably my most common snack if I just need like a little pick me up is just a handful of nuts, and it's just a, a nut mix that we get in bulk at Ingles. Um, and uh, and you know because it's so high calorie and fat, I just really need one handful, and that will tide me over. Yeah, I, I forgot trail mix as a as a common snack of mine as well. Uh, the one I use is called Strider's Snack from Whole Foods. I've just never really been a big trail mix guy, uh, especially once I started getting into raw and unsalted nuts to get more of the health benefits in there. Uh, and it just made it harder and harder for me to eat nuts. But this, this Strider's Snack that has some raisins mixed in is actually really good. So I tend to eat that a lot. But like you, I've more recently tried to limit it. 
not not that I have any sort of weight problem or, or need to, you know, keep my calories down, but I don't know. It just it just I don't feel like it's that good to, to eat tons and tons of calories in a sitting like that. So yeah. I try to look at that. Uh, nuts though are delicious. I'm not they're delicious, but they're also uh, they're very, very good for you. In, in lots of longevity studies, nuts are, are shown consistently as being one of the, the main drivers of, of longer life when, when you're eating an otherwise healthy diet. So don't neglect the nuts uh, unless you're trying to lose weight, and, and only then for a little while. Yeah. I, didn't mention, I didn't mention more about hummus, which is our other snack. Uh, we tend to – it's so easy to make hummus at home, but we just don't do it. I don't know. I don't know if it's laziness or what. Uh, when we do, it's fine. turns out great. And it really, it's always worth the work because it's just very, very fast to make. There's no, especially if you're using canned chickpeas, there's very little, I don't know, you, you can do it in five minutes, just throw it together. Right. And it's good, and the ingredients are, as long as you keep tahini around, they're they're pretty common. You usually have got them around. Uh, but we end up buying Roots Oil-Free Hummus. Roots is a, an Asheville company that is, I've seen them distributed in, in as far as San Diego Whole Foods. Uh, but their hummus is delicious, and we, we get their oil-free variety. We use that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. Um, and we talked about hummus in a recent episode as well. And, and I meant to ask you this question too. So we make hummus uh, probably every other week, about half the time. Um, mm-hmm. and cause it is just so easy and it's really, it's very good. And there's, it's easy to find different and exciting hummus recipes. Um, but you talked, you talked about oil-free hummus and making your own, what the only time we've, we've done that, it's come out really dry. Do you have any tips for Making it less dry without oil? No, because I don't really know if we've made it that much since okay. we've done oil-free. Erin has made it, actually. She made it, but see, when she was doing it, she was on this low-fat kick. And by the way, if you if you want to check out Erin's story, we have a podcast episode, um, I think somewhere in the in the 70s or so, uh, but it's called How to Lose Weight the Healthy Way or something like that. It's where Erin lost all this weight when she went on a uh, low-caloric-density type diet, meaning cutting out oils, nuts, avocados, and anything else that is calorically dense. But anyway, so she was making hummus for that that had not only didn't have oil in it, but also didn't have tahini in it. Because if you're Mm. you're cutting out oil, that's one thing. But it's very easy to just replace, and I suspect this is what Roots does, is they probably make up for that missing oil by putting more tahini in. So you're adding another pretty solid fat source in there, um, which isn't the best thing if you're trying to lose weight, but is is a good thing if you're trying to make your hummus delicious and oil-free. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know exactly what – there's even their oil-free hummus is somewhat drier than the other kinds. It's not quite so decadent and runny as other hummus is. Uh, but I don't know. I've gotten used to it and I like it. Okay. Well, if you if you have any experience with that in the future, let me know. I will absolutely do that. Okay. So what else uh, is worth talking about as far as staples here? I mean – it's not like you know people who cook otherwise omnivorous diets have a lot of staples as well that that are the exact same as ours so like to go into our i don't know our spice rack is going to be really similar stuff as in in a a regular pantry one interesting thing is totally unrelated to veganism but just kind of a, a practical and usefulness uh tip is that we realized that we so we had this huge spice uh cabinet that was just unruly mess. You'd reach in and try to get one, and you'd knock over five others. Sometimes we tried to solve the problem with those lazy Susan things that rotate, those turntable things. That didn't work because centrifugal force pulled the spices off, and then you get even more of a mess. So it wasn't wasn't good. Then we had the kids, and they got into them, and it was just a mess. Cinnamon everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Those kids go right for the cinnamon. <laughs> uh, but what we realized was that there's, there's the 80-20 principle that everyone knows about. You know, 20% of your 
effort gets you 80% of the results. Well, we realize that applies even more extremely to spices, that we have 60 spices in our cabinet, but there are about five of them that we actually use most of the time. Like in a given week, that we'll actually use, say, five of them. So what we did was got um, little, at Ikea, these, these things you would hammer into the wall and you know keep five spices out in this little rack. Uh, and we actually got two of them, so we have ten out there because they look nice. But uh, that was a huge tip for a huge thing for us to realize that we just uh, most of them you don't use ever. It might be nice to keep them around, but you don't really need them that often. So to put out the crushed red pepper, uh, maybe the garlic powder, the oregano or the Italian mixed seasoning, cumin, uh, turmeric, the ones that that show up in the recipes that you tend to cook, you can separate those from the rest of your spices and uh, save yourself a lot of a lot of headaches. Yeah, I think that's that's a good idea. Good. Um, what we've done is is been more strict on buying to to kind of naturally regulate ourselves is to just buy much nicer, spice, like higher quality spices. Uh huh. And I think that they're called Pinsleys, Pin Pinsies spices. P E N Z E Y S. Uh, okay. That's the brand we like, um, and so we just we just buy nicer or higher quality spices and that that ends up keeping us from buying a bunch of spices just because a a recipe calls for something a little bit of this a little bit of that and then, right. you, and then you end up with 60 spices like you said so we definitely i mean we have a spice cabinet with some spices we hardly ever touch but i would say it's it's reasonable yeah. i think it's like in the maybe like 15 spices range yeah that's that is reasonable Another thing with spices that we've only started doing since we moved to Asheville where they're more like specialty grocery stores is getting spices in smaller quantities because you can, in like a Whole Foods type of place, you can often get the spices in bulk and you just get them in little plastic bags mm. and you can just get a couple of teaspoons of spices because they do go bad, uh, I don't know, I don't know what, the, I think six months is sort of the standard that people say. Uh, and you can, if you smell the difference between a new, you know, a new um, bottle of cumin versus an old bottle, it smells so much different and, and i'm sure that comes through in your food but um if you get small quantities that helps with that i haven't found a good storage solution for like we get all these little bags of them and then they just kind of sit around our house but um so, you know what, what grocery store do you like to use Matt? <laughs> typically we typically go to whole foods uh but there's one called ingles here that we go to now and then uh but but we don't like to we don't like to associate with, with people <laughs> No, that's a joke. We, I mean, we we have no uh, no judgment of the people at these grocery stores at all, but <laughs> I, I don't know. It just with the kids and the we're just we're not good about buying cheap food. It's just it's just a sore spot in my life that I just I don't know. We just spend so much on food and I can't get away from it. Every time we try, we have the discussion and we say we could save a thousand dollars a month if we just started buying cheap stuff, and we're always like, nah, not worth it. It's it's better to to invest in our health and especially once we had kids it just made it so much easier to say like no we want them to have this good expensive organic food because we both ate such terrible food when we were kids i think that's probably a large part of it is that we're well, back i think and this is a totally different discussion but i think that uh you know what your hang-up is is that food not purchased at fancy grocery stores is bad for you and that's right. not that's not true it's tainted yeah it's no bad. oh the gro by the grocery store yeah, and the handlers of it. <laughs> oh my god, you're terrible, Matt. You're terrible. No, I'm, I'm just kidding about that. You're right. That is that is a, a mental block of mine. Is I feel like those higher quality, sto- those more expensive stores, those nice stores, get a good experience in there. That, that the stuff is just better. 
I don't know. I think I think you have a good point here. I think I am wrong in this discussion, uh, but I don't I don't know. I got I got to convince the, the family to change. You got you got to start with yourself, Matt. You got to you got to convince yourself first. <laughs> yeah, I, I we didn't, I feel like we don't even have cheap grocery stores here. Maybe I'm wrong, but the groceries are so expensive here, and I haven't I haven't found a good a happy medium. Yeah. Anyway, that's a topic for another day. We'll have the great grocery store debate one day. Whoa, your mic just changed, and it sounds way better all of a sudden. Oh, uh, good. We've only got a few minutes left, so the, these last few minutes will be blissful. <laughs> well, so hopefully soon we'll be recording together, and we can. It won't. Well, it, all the volume and all of the mics will sound perfect and nice and crisp soon. Yes, it will be soon. All right. So um, other things that are maybe maybe unique to this. I mean, uh, the typical vegetables. Like like Mark said in his question, you kind of kind of get what your meal is based on. Some people, I think, some people don't do that. Some people actually do stock vegetables and then just cook what they've got, and they use that to determine what they're going to uh, what they're going to make that day. If you do like a CSA type thing, or if you only buy local or only buy in season, then you're going to have a certain supply of vegetables, and you've got to find recipes to match those. We don't usually cook that way, um, but the the ones that we typically do make sure we always have are. We always buy a lettuce at the store because we, we make salads, and we found that that just chopping up your own lettuce, buying a head of romaine, a green leaf lettuce, or several heads of it, chopping it up, it makes something that lasts way longer than those clamshell packs do, and it's cheaper. And if you've got a salad spinner, then it's really not that much work just to, to do it. Salad spinner is a total unitasker in the kitchen that takes up a lot of room, <laughs> but we eat enough salads that it is worth it. It saves a lot of money and uh, a lot of a lot of old and and rotten rotten lettuce from those clamshell packs uh-huh. so we do that we almost always though so we'll get romaine or green leaf as the kind of base lettuce but we always try to also mix in one that it changes week to week and it i think generally has more uh micronutrition in it like the sort of bitter greens so we might use something like radicchio we might get dandelion greens might get mustard greens not really something you could make a full salad out of generally because they're sort of bitter but we always try to kind of do half and half with one of these base lettuces and some other one. So when we're at Whole Foods, we will buy one of each or two of each or whatever. Uh, and that changes week to week to kind of, you know, keep the variety going. Yeah, uh, we, we do the exact same thing. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And and the uh, what one thing that I like to do that Katie absolutely hates is that I think that if you leave the greens in the salad spinner, then they stay better longer. So I put the whole thing in the fridge she hates that because it takes up like an entire <laughs> <Yeah>. shelf. <laughs> that's that's actually what we we usually do store them that way in the refrigerator. I, I think, never Yeah, so I think it keeps them crisper. Process. Yeah, I think it I think it works. So keep the water in there with them No, the no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, you dump okay. that and then just leave the whole salad spinner in there. Yeah, we we just kind of do that out of laziness, but um... Yeah, I mean it might be laziness on my part too. <laughs> but I like to pretend anyway that it makes it fresher longer. Yeah, I I've, I've never really learned or I don't think there is a, a I've heard all different things for keeping vegetables, but it seems that uh, putting them in, an, in a container that's not totally airtight but is somewhat airtight is generally pretty good. Like if you leave them in an open-faced container with no lid on it, it seems like they'll kind of get gross in the refrigerator. But if it's totally sealed off, that's also not good. Mm-hmm. And I've heard different tricks about putting paper towels in there to absorb moisture and all kinds of other things. But you're right. Just keeping them in the salad spinner seems to work pretty well. Yep. Um, okay, good. I mean, garlic and onions we always have on hand. We use them in almost every meal that we cook. It just kind of begins with garlic and onions, uh, partially for health reasons, partially for deliciousness reasons. And the only other weird thing that I can think of around vegetables is that, and technically fruits, is that we uh, we don't generally buy 
tomato sauces at the store. We generally make our own because I found this really simple way, and I put this in my book, uh, just to start with canned whole peeled tomatoes. You can get them anywhere from between, I don't know, a dollar fifty for a twenty eight ounce can, ranging up to four fifty or more if you're getting good San Marzano organic type tomatoes. Generally, we stay at the cheaper end of that range. So there you go, Doug. We're not total snobs. Nice, nice. Uh, try to get the reduced sodium or the no salt added kind, just because we like to add our own salt rather than having it already baked in there. Uh, and then blend them up in a in a blender. Takes a couple pulses on the blend tech to turn it into a smooth sauce. Then just pour it in a pot, cook it on medium or so for 20 minutes, and then it reduces into this delicious sauce that is so fresh tasting and good and doesn't have any other stuff in it you can add salt if you want you could add oil and garlic if you want but even by itself it just makes a really nice sauce so we did that as our sauce solution sometimes we'll make a whole bunch ahead of time and then freeze it into little packs and things like that but that that's what we do for, for tomato sauce which we eat quite often because we just do a lot of pasta dishes we like italian type dishes so yeah we rely on that is a good way to make some red sauce for sure good. and uh, yeah and as i said this last time and i'll say it again uh if you can go to the farmer's market and get the seconds tomatoes, the tomatoes that are like oh, yeah, slightly right. bruised and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and just spend like, I don't know, four hours, one Saturday afternoon making tons of tomato sauce <laughs> because, nice. because you're going to have a ton of tomatoes if you buy a couple of boxes of these tomatoes um, and then freeze it. And then you have tomato sauce for, for months. Yeah. We, that, we, I mean, that's such a good tip. Just making huge quantities of stuff in advance because it doesn't take four hours of at the stove time to make that. No, you of just, not. you just, yeah. it just takes the planning to do it. And it's so, it's one of those things that we talk about all the time. We do make the time for that and make, put the effort forth, but not enough. I just wish we did it more and we're more disciplined about that. Same with soaking beans, cooking beans ahead of time. You can do a lot of good stuff and freeze things ahead of time. Uh, if you, if you just remember to do it basically. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's wrap up pretty soon here. The last thing I'll mention, actually, I've got two more things I'll mention. Vinegars, we do apple cider vinegar and balsamic vinegar primarily. We do have some other sort of specialty ones for different stuff. Uh, but those, if you buy in any of the acid alkaline diet stuff, which if you're getting into veganism, you'll probably you'll probably start to hear about that. It's hard not to. Um, kind of a controversial thing. Brendan Brazier is into it, and I've even seen some stuff from Dr. Furman that seems to kind of endorse that way of thinking. Uh, but a lot of other people say that's total quackery and doesn't doesn't matter at all. But anyway, those are the two vinegars that... Somehow, I don't know how any of this works, but are actually alkalizing instead of acid forming under this theory of acid alkaline, uh, which we won't go into the specifics of that. The idea is that if you eat too much acid in your food or too much acid forming foods, which is a ton of what the standard American diet is, then your body will be working so hard to neutralize itself that it will eventually start leaching alkaline things like calcium from your bones. And this is thought to be behind why, if you look at uh, like in Forks Over Knives, they show how the, some of the countries that, that drink the most dairy products or eat the most dairy products have the highest um, incidence of osteoporosis. And this is per, thought to be maybe the mechanism that causes that. Um, so anyway, acid alkaline stuff, not something that I base many of my decisions on. But when it comes to vinegars, we just pick those. I don't know. They they seem they do the job and we mix them up between salads. Sometimes they're balsamic. Sometimes we use a, a, apple cider. And sometimes we use lemon juice, which is another acid, acidic thing that actually turns out to be alkaline in the body through some sort of magical process that I don't understand. Cool. I'm guessing, <laughs> I'm guessing you're not into the acid alkaline balance. I'm not. No, not, in, not into that. 
<laughs> well, I don't blame you at all because I don't really know if I am either. But that's what we do. And then our last thing that uh, I think is at all interesting is our is our pantry or whatever you would call it cabinet where we keep our flowers, not not beautiful looking flowers, but the flowers ground up greens, um, and other greens too. So we've we generally keep on hand brown rice flour as well as brown rice for eating, almond meal, whole wheat flour. Oats, which are ground in oat flour in our Blendtec, uh, masa arena, which is which is corn meal that has been nixtamalized, is the name of the process where it's soaked in a lime solution. And this is not a not a high tech Western or, or standard American diet thing. This is what they do in uh, Mexico or Puerto Rico, I believe. Uh, no, Costa Rica, not not Puerto Rico. Costa Rica is the blue zone. There's one of the blue zones there, and uh, you can make corn tortillas out of it. So that that works really well. We love to do that. I mentioned Ezekiel bread. We keep that on hand. And then when it comes to pasta, whole wheat or quinoa pasta is typically what we use. But there are lots of different interesting varieties of pasta out there. I don't think wheat is particularly bad, but uh, a lot of people do. And I like to mix it up rather than using whole wheat all the time. Because as I mentioned, we do eat a lot of pasta. Um, so some of those flours we use in this pancake recipe from Heather Crosby at Yum Universe. They're called, I think they're called Heckia Banana Pancakes. And my kids eat those every single morning. My kids, as, as you can see, eat the same thing pretty much all the time, <laughs> and a lot, and a lot apparently. And they do a lot of different foods. They they basically run our whole household. They're the reason we do this whole foods thing, like I said. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to them. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's why we have those. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out here is is rice, which is sort of kind of a controversial food these days in in this sort of uh, the circles that we run in. What isn't? I know, really. Uh, and and I, I am just as bad about that stuff as everyone else. I, I hear about something, and then suddenly I think it's poisoning me and my family, and I and we get rid of it. Or better than get rid of it is find methods for making it good or find versions of it that are good. Rice, a couple years ago, it came out that it was high in arsenic, which several good, trustworthy doctor people who I listen to and follow online said – that amount of arsenic in rice, both organic types of rice and conventionally grown rice, uh, both brown and white, though worse in brown, actually, um, that amount of arsenic could could cause cancers or be linked to cancers and things like that. So there was a big scare. There was I did a blog post about it, and there was you know several other sort of newspaper, actual serious media companies did did articles about it. But there are ways to reduce the arsenic in your rice, such as if you always get it uh, imported, like from Thailand or India. It's way, way better than getting it from domestic sources like Texas or California as far as arsenic levels go. And there's also, by the way, a brand called Mighty Rice that sent us some samples, but I never actually bought any, which claims to have like no detectable amount of arsenic in it. Uh, but the main thing we did was if you cook your rice in a massive quantity of water, so like a huge, I don't know, what, what is it, two, three-quart I don't even know if that's a huge amount, but, you know, the big pot in your kitchen. You fill that up with water, no matter what amount of rice you're cooking, and just cook it in that, and then drain it, and then sort of dry it. And and that could also sort of dilute the amount of arsenic that was in there by the water absorbing some of it. So anyway, all that happened. And then, just the other day, Matt Resigno sent me an article, uh, a study, that showed that although there are these very detectable levels of arsenic in the rice, they, they did some study on, is it actually linked to cancers? And... From people who ate lots and lots of rice, there was no clear link between rice consumption and rate of cancer. So does that make all that other stuff not worth doing? I'm not really sure about that. 
Um, I wouldn't. I, I would be hesitant to admit that because of the amount of the lengths that we go to to reduce the arsenic in our rice. Uh, <laughs> but it doesn't even feel better about eating it for sure. Yeah, so. but I mean, do you know anything about um, like South American rice and Central American rice? If it has high levels of arsenic? No, I don't. I don't know if it's a like a Western Hemisphere thing, or if it's a United States ruining everything thing. Because one of your blue zone countries, I mean, Costa Rica, rice is a, you know a huge part of their diet. You know, it is, but in in this, I don't know. Maybe it's not the country, but the particular region. Uh, the the blue zones book made it as if what they ate was almost only corn, beans, and squash, and very, very little else. Okay, okay. So I don't know. But, but it's, you know, it's quite possible. I don't know. I don't know how much. But, but rice was a big part of some of the diets, like Okinawa, I believe, ate a lot of rice mm-hmm. uh, some others. So, and that and that could be just, just another example of the fact that even if there is high arsenic or are high arsenic levels in rice, uh, that, that um, you know, maybe it, maybe it doesn't actually end up getting linked to cancer somehow, even if it is high levels. Another thing, possibility, is that I don't know that much about the arsenic situation, but I, I think perhaps it's something that's kind of more of a modern thing. And these blue zones are, are famous because of their... Ancient. Yeah, the, the rates of people who are 100 years old. So if they ate, you know, if, if all this stuff didn't happen until, say, 50 or 30 years ago, then, then those people would, you know, would have been a large part of their life not eating the, the bad, the tainted rice. Right. How much... But, can't be so bad at all. How about uh, how much arsenic is in rice aroni? Because that's what I grew up eating. <laughs> I, I cannot answer that one off the top of my head. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I think I, I, the message that I'm getting and, and would like to drive home is that it sounds like I'm kind of fear-mongering and, and overreacting to things, and I think in this case I definitely am. I think it's probably pretty <laughs> darn safe to just eat rice. I don't know about every single day and totally ignoring all this stuff, but... I think if you just eat rice in normal quantities like a normal person, you probably don't need to think about this. But anyway, if you uh, if you like to get scared about things like I do, then there are lots of ways to uh, to do it. Oh, by the way, brown rice syrup, which is used in a lot of baby formulas, is particularly bad, and it's bad anyway. Don't don't eat brown rice syrup generally. Uh, but that that apparently would like concentrate the arsenic levels. So mm-hmm. that that's probably still something to be concerned about because I don't think the study was looking at that when it said that. There was no clear link between rice and cancer, uh, but I don't think they were looking at brown rice syrup. They were looking at people eating white or brown rice. So that is a lengthy aside on brown rice, probably too lengthy, but uh, maybe maybe people have enjoyed it. Oh, and by the way, brown rice worse than white, like I said. Yeah. So I don't know why. I, I'm curious. Do you, does that mean you eat more white rice than brown rice, or do you just? Yeah, it actually has made us change. Because, you know, everyone always says brown rice better because it's less processed in the same way that whole wheat flour is better than white flour. Uh, but because of the arsenic stuff, we actually had started to eat more and more white rice, hmm. which it turns out is more delicious. So that was <laughs> It is so, definitely more delicious, and it's easier to cook. I mean, it takes so much yeah, less time. Yeah. yeah. So that was kind of a nice uh, upshot of, of this big scare. We do, we do a lot of, like, wild rice blends. You ever do those? I think that's uh, no, not that much, but I, I do think that that's a good thing. I think that's healthier than rice because then, then you're getting – isn't wild rice like a seed and rice itself is a grain? Don't quote me on that, but I think that's what it is. I don't know. So anyway, good thing. Yeah, mix things up. Variety always good. Okay, um, so this one has gone down an unexpected path this episode, <laughs> but uh, I think it's time to wrap up before we before we go any further. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Hope you enjoyed hearing about our staples. And as always, leave us rating and review on iTunes. It's extremely helpful for us, even if you've done it before. 
Um, but well, don't don't comment on the on the ever changing quality of Matt's microphone because it will be because better it's soon. A flood. Yes, it's due to a flood. It's not my fault. Yeah, natural disaster. Act of God is what did it. <laughs> All right. Thanks everyone for listening. I uh, hope you have as much fun listening as we do making these. Yeah, absolutely. Take care, everyone. All right. Bye.